In today's edition of Awaken to Grace, we are exploring James chapter 5, verses 13 to 17, and I hope that your faith will grow immensely as we study each phrase of this great uh, chapter of James. We're going to talk about how do you grow, how do you expand your capacity to pray, and to not just pray prayers, but to pray effective prayers. Prayers, and we're going to learn how to grow in that in today's study. If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to James chapter 5, I'm so thankful for the time of prayer the Lord gave us today. Just so thankful. You know, the things that the Lord is doing, you can't manufacture those things. You can't sit back here in the in the conference room and go, well, at this time we're going to do this or that or that. I mean, it's it's God moving in our midst, and I'm just thankful for that. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for a worship team that's more about the presence of God than they are about the performance. Can we just thank the Lord for that today? They're not they're not worried about. They do things with excellence, but. Nothing matters when the presence of God falls, does it? Nothing else matters, and I'm thankful that they're sensitive to that. Um, as most of you know, I'm unable to read the text because of my vision issues, but uh, I'm going to try to take you through James chapter 5 for a few moments, and I'm going to try to unfold these verses for you that have literally transformed my life. I pray that if you don't have these verses memorized, that you will commit them to memory. And I pray that they will have great effect in you as they have me. Now, we began a series, if you are joining us new this morning, let me just catch us up for a couple of moments. We began a series at the beginning of the year called Expanding Our Capacity. Now, when I have, I have a concern that when we talk about our capacity, that people are going to immediately think church growth. They're going to immediately think you know, uh, filling more chairs or, you know, making more room, which we're going, I think, have to do soon. But that's not what we're talking about in way of, uh, in way of expanding your capacity. As a matter of fact, what we're saying all year this year is growing people and not our church. We are not interested at all in how many chairs we fill. We are interested in making disciples. We are interested in filling the city with the gospel. We are interested in reaching far beyond these walls, far beyond our city, far beyond our region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our focus. And so when we sat down and began to pray and say, what does expanding our personal spiritual capacity, what does it look like? And we believe the Lord gave us four primary ways to expand our capacity. So we began with week one, explaining the Good Samaritan. And in that sermon, we talked about expanding our capacity to love others. And let me tell you, God's going to give us an opportunity, multiple opportunities to do that this year in 2019. And what that looks like for us is loving people who they don't look like us, they don't 
talk like us, they don't think like us, and they certainly don't act like us, but none of that matters. We're going to love them with the love of God. And so we talked about what does it look in a real way, in a practical way, and so we studied the Good Samaritan. We saw actually it was the religious people that were indifferent. It was the religious people that just passed him by. And we talked about in that first sermon, what does it practically mean to love people the way that God loves them and the way that God loves us? We spoke in week two. We said if we're going to expand our capacity, not only do we have to love people the way God loves them, but we have to grow in Christ the way we should be growing in Christ. So we talked about what does growth look like in a spiritual life. We went to Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. We called that sermon Rooted in Christ. What does it mean to really grow in your faith? To really grow as God wants you to grow. And then last week, I preached a very difficult sermon, a very rare sermon for me on tithing, and I shook off my fear, and I preached it, didn't I? If you were here. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. Thank you. Because it was called robbing God. Will a man rob God? Malachi asked. Will a man rob God? God says, you have robbed me through tithes and offerings. And I shook off my fear of being seen as money hungry or a church about money. And I did, I think, what God would have me to do as a faithful pastor. And I spoke about giving. We talked about expanding our capacity To not just give and not do the bare minimum that God asks of us, but to go beyond that and to live generous lives and to be known as a people who are generous. Well, today concludes our series. And if we've talked about expanding our capacity to love, if we've talked about our expanding our capacity to grow, and if we talked about expanding our capacity to give, the last and final one of this series is expanding our capacity to pray. And that's where I want to invite you to James chapter 5. We're going to entitle today Fervent, the capacity to pray. Fervent. As most of you know, I'm unable to read the text, so I'll try to go from memory. Forgive me if I miss a few words, but I'll try to walk us through this. James chapter 5, verse number 13, the Bible says, if there's any among you, if there's any among you, (laughs) I got cheerful in my head, who are suffering, there we go, took me a second. If there's any among you who are suffering, what's the remedy, he says? Let him pray. Is there any cheerful? Let them sing praise. If any among you are sick, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if any has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be, what does your Bible say? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently, there's our title. 
He prayed fervently that it would not rain upon, that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain upon the earth. I want to talk to you for a few moments today about not just prayer, but about effective prayer. Not just prayer as usual, prayer that you're not sure if God's going to move or if he's going to work or for that matter, if he even heard you. But I'm talking about prayer that is effective, prayer that is effectual, prayer that is righteous, prayer that is fervent. And that's the kind of prayer that moves the hand of God. I'm not interested in praying prayers on my terms. I'm interested in praying prayers that move the hand of God. I'm interested in praying prayers that are empowered by faith and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't want cold and mechanical and routine praying going on in my life. I want fervent praying, the kind that moves heaven. And the Bible says those prayers can be ours. The Bible teaches that these prayers are not for a select few. These prayers are not only for those spiritual elite people. The Bible says that Elijah, that great Old Testament prophet, having a nature just like ours. Elijah, who battled depression. Elijah, who, who at times doubted God. Elijah, who was, who was quite emotional. Elijah, who, who even doubted and, and, and thought that he was the only servant of God, whereas God had many. Elijah, who had many, many problems and many mistakes, and yet he had power to call fire down from heaven when he prayed. James would have us know that this type of praying can be ours. And I want to show you how today. So if you're someone that you would love for your prayer life to grow, and I think you would, I don't, I don't think at the end of the day, I don't think you're here because the band is great. At the end of the day, I don't think that you're here because the coffee tastes really good. At the end of the day, you're certainly not here because of me. I think at the end of the day, you're here because you want to please God and because you want to be a prayerful person. Well, how do we grow in that? How do we expand our capacity? How do we grow in our ability to not just pray, but to pray effectively, to pray fervently? Well, let's begin with verse 13. James writes, is there any among you suffering? Now, if you're like me, in my mind, when I think suffering, I immediately go to illness. I immediately go to some type of sickness or disease. But that's not what the Greek word means. The original word in the original text, written in Greek, it actually means to have any kind of calamity of life. Many of you filled the altars today with many, many different needs. Many different situations, all kinds of difficult circumstances. And you know what the Bible would say to those of us who are in a time, those of us who are in a season of suffering? The Bible makes it very clear. Pray. That is the remedy. That is the answer. That is the solution. But what do you do when those prayers don't feel effective? What do you do when it's been a long season and yet you go, God, I have prayed and yet I don't see any results? We're going to answer that with the Bible today. But let's understand, first of all, that there are various seasons of life. There are various uh, times, there there are seasons that we walk through. And, And I think this is what James is saying. If you're in a season of suffering, the answer is pray. If you're in a joyful season, if you're in a good place right now, if you're in a, if you're cheerful, then what's the Bible say to you? Sing praise. 
I think personally, I think what James had in his mind when he's writing this was uh, Ecclesiastes verse 7, 13 and 14. In Ecclesiastes 7, it says, the same God who creates the day of prosperity, the same God who creates your best days, the times, the seasons of your life where everything is smooth and everything is great and you're constantly winning, well, guess what? The same God creates the day of adversity. I love that because it tells me that God is not fickle. It tells me that God is not all over the map. It tells me that God didn't lose his power in one certain season of my life. No, it tells me that just as God ordains my good seasons, he ordains my hard seasons. And he's the same God in between and through it all. So that means I can trust him in the times I'm singing and I can trust him in the times I'm brokenhearted and I'm praying. Either way, I trust God. You understand? So whatever season you find yourself in, look to the word of God. How many of you know seasons change? It's a bit chilly in here this morning, isn't it? It's cold outside. It's supposed to be very cold this week, right? The last that I looked, Tuesday night, supposed to be nine degrees. The last I looked, that may have changed. You know how it is here. It changes every 10 minutes. But is this season going to last forever? No, March is coming. Spring is coming. Things will bud. They'll bloom. They'll come to life. But will that season last? No. Seasons change. And friend, I want to tell you, the season that you're in today is not going to last forever. It's not going to. God controls those seasons. Look to him. Look to him. Now, he says, if any among you are suffering, which means trouble of any kind, if any among you are in trouble, if you're suffering, the answer is pray. Those of you who are cheerful will then sing praise. Ecclesiastes 7, 13, 14. Consider the work of God. The same God who makes the day of prosperity is the same God who creates the day of adversity. It's the same God, the same hand. And you can have the same level of trust for both. Then he said, if any among you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let him call for the elders of the church. What's he saying here? Well, not only is that a biblical model, not only is it a biblical pattern, I think it's something we follow and we do that faithfully. We call for the elders of the church. We take oil, which symbolizes the Holy Spirit. There's nothing magical about this. The Bible doesn't tell us what name brand of oil to use. You understand? It doesn't have more power on it if it's Crisco. It's not more anointed if it's essential oils, right? My wife thinks so. She thinks essential oils can do anything. But it doesn't matter what kind of oil we're talking. It's a symbol. It's symbolic of the power of the Holy Spirit because oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit in the Bible. But notice this. Not only is it a model for us to follow as far as church government, but... I think this is what it's saying. Don't do life alone. Call for your pastors. Don't sit in isolation. Don't let Satan overwhelm you. Don't, go, don't do life alone. 
Don't sit there and struggle and, and, and be overwhelmed and be isolated from those who love you and those who will care for you and those who will shepherd you. I think that's really what he's saying here is call for the elders of the church. Don't do this alone. Don't go through it alone. And then he says that, the, that, that we'll take oil, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, we'll pray in the name of the Lord. And then what does the next verse say? And prayer will heal the sick. Is that what it says word for word? I'm asking. I can't see anything. Is that what it says? Absolutely not. What does it say? The prayer of faith will heal the sick. Here's what I want you to see today. God does not honor prayer. God doesn't honor just praying. He honors the prayer of faith. Many people pray, but they don't pray with any faith. Many people trust God to go, well, okay, well, maybe God could, but they don't have any faith. The Bible teaches, this is such a critical issue, the Bible teaches without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. So I have to watch this. I have to guard this. Let let, let me just share with you personally where I am right now in my vision issues. There have been so many men of God pray over me. I mean, great men of God, men that if I am here with the Lord, they are here with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And so many times they've laid hands on me, they've prayed and, you know, I've opened and and no change, no change. What do I do with that? What do you do when it feels like it's not working? Well, let's understand something, okay? I want you to understand this. My only responsibility, my responsibility is not to figure out how many different formulas of prayer I can pray that will crack the code to where God will give me what I need. I don't have to talk God into anything. My job in prayer is not to beg God to the point where he'll feel sorry for me. Some people fast, and they fast in a wrong way because they think God's going to look at them and go, oh, well, okay. Some people treat God the way my two-year-old treats God. Do you know what happens to Hudson if you take something away from him? (laughs) You should do it. If you see see him in the lobby with something today, just take it away and watch what he does. It's hilarious. I don't don't know what it is. He like... He like does this, I don't know what it is. He does this thing with his hands and he like throws his hands down like this and then he starts stomp. I, I, I don't know what it is. I'm like, did Sadie do that as a baby? Is that where he gets that from? It's ridiculous. It's crazy. You know what it is? It's a temper tantrum. There's a lot of people not serving Jesus right now because they're throwing a temper tantrum on him. God took something out of their life God did something that they didn't like. God did something that they didn't approve of or it wasn't comfortable. And we forget he is the potter and we are the clay. So many people have prayed for me. They've prayed the prayer of faith. I have prayed what I feel the prayer of faith. But notice what the Bible says. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. What's it say? As it is working. Have you given God room to work in your life? 
See, there are some personal things about me, and I'm not going to go into the detail today, because you don't need to know, but there are some personal things with me that God has very clearly told me, I'm working on you. I'm working on you. God could open my eyes now, right now. He could do it in a second. And as great men of God have laid hands on me and prayed on, over me, it's, it's, I'm not growing discouraged because God hasn't healed me yet or because God hasn't done this great miracle yet. I know, see, God's showing me every single day. He's showing me, you want me to change your circumstance. Chad, I'm trying to change you. The prayer of faith is working. Look what it's doing inside of you. And when faith has done her full and complete work, that's when God will open. See, I have to come to this place where I go, God, you're the, clay. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Because you haven't moved at the moment I prayed, because you haven't done at the moment that it would be the most convenient for me or the most comfortable for me, it does not mean God is not working, amen? Several very well-meaning people, I tell you, people have been so gracious to me. It's really shown me what an incredible community of people that I have around me. They've been so gracious and some people being very gracious told me through the holidays, they said, Chad, we're praying every day that God would give you your sight for Christmas. Oh, I appreciate that. I do. I appreciate it. But let me tell you, that wasn't the will of God at that moment. It wasn't. Do you know why? It's because what I'm finding, as I've been very transparent and open with you, there are times of frustrations, times of discouragement. There are those times. But by and large, nearly every single day to the glory of God, praise God, every single day, there may be a moment in the day, there may be an hour or two in the day, but literally every single day, God is making this precious to me because of what he's doing inside me. Does that make sense? Now, here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Like Psalm 103, Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. In other words, Israel saw what God was doing, but Moses understood why God was doing it. Now, here is, here is the problem. While I'm waiting on God to work, while I'm waiting on him to not only do physically what I'm praying God would do physically, but while he's doing inwardly what he needs to do inwardly, if I'm not careful, I can nullify what God truly wants to do. If I'm not really praying in faith. If I'm over here saying, well, you know, God's working in me and, you know, I can feel his work and I feel like God wants to, you know, I, I know, I know that God wants to, but then if I'm not careful Monday morning, I can get with Bob and just be like, I tell you, Bob, I just don't know. I just don't think it's going to happen. And if I do that, am I praying in faith? Am I standing in faith? Now understand, I'm not saying be fake and I'm not saying be pretend. There may be times that, Bob may call me because God put me on his heart and, God, and Bob may call and say, Chad, how are you doing this morning? And I may have to be honest and say, Bob, I'm having a really bad day. 
I'm really struggling today. Yesterday, I was so full of faith. Man, I preached with faith, and I stood up, and God filled me with faith. But man, this morning, life is hitting me hard, and I I don't feel full of faith. And I tell you, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? There's nothing wrong with being honest. There's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with being sincere. But I can still be that way in faith. And I can say, Bob, I know God's working for me, but... Boy, I need some extra prayer today. I'm struggling today. Does that make sense to you? How different is that than going, well, Bob, I doubt it. I don't know. Yesterday I thought so, but today, no. I doubt it. I doubt it. No. The Bible says concerning a double-minded man who's not a person of faith, the Bible says in James, that person should suppose that they will receive nothing from the Lord. So when we talk about church, I want us to be careful. As we prepare toward this big healing service and we're working our way through the God of series and all this and that, let me tell you what's going to happen. People are going to begin to ask you questions about your church and, you know, they'll inquire this, inquire that. Uh, here's Here's what I want to be careful of. You know, when we talk about church, we, we love to talk about the surface level things. We love to say, well, how many of you, how many of y'all running down there? How many of y'all got going down there at Preaching Christ Church? You ever heard anyone say that? We're so bad for that. Well, what's your music like? Anybody ever ask you that? What's your music like? Oh, people won't come unless it's their preference of music, right? Some people. You know what I find fascinating? When you read Paul's letters to the church, to the New Testament church, when you read through the letters, here's what Paul asks the church. Paul says, how's your faith doing? You read read your Bible and see if you ever, ever encounter Paul saying, how's the music program going? What kind of songs y'all doing down there? Have you you guys learned anything new lately? What what are you doing? You still doing the old songs of faith? What's going on? No, he never said that. I dare you to find somewhere where God says, how's your budget doing? Paul writing, are, are you guys up or down? Uh, what kind of growth are you seeing? Where, where, where's the budget? No. no, when Paul wrote to a church, you know what he asked? How's your faith doing? You know why? Because that's the only thing the Lord measures. We measure all the wrong things. Come on now, get with me right now. You understand? And I'm so thankful for this season that God has closed my eyes. Because let me tell you, I don't know how many people's here today. I have no idea. I have no idea. No clue. And the best part is, I don't care. Because on this day, when I stand before God and I give an account for January 27, 2019, God is not going to measure us on our attendance. God will not measure our budget. You know what God's going to measure by? How was the faith of the church that day? Did your faith grow? Did your faith strengthen? Did your faith increase? Because the Bible says in Luke 18 that when Christ comes back to the earth, he's looking for a certain type of people. And do you know what that people is he's looking for? People of faith. Read the Bible. People of faith. And I want to be a person that I'm growing. I'm growing in Christ and I'm growing in faith. So I want to ask you a question today. How's your faith? Because some of you are so discouraged because you say, Chad, I see God answer this prayer and that prayer. God never answers my prayer. Are you praying prayers of faith? Because that's the only thing that's going to move God. You can pray all day long. Pray in your own strength that it get nowhere.
Pray in your own ability, it'll get nowhere. Pray according to your own will, it'll get nowhere. Pray according to your own desires, you won't get anywhere. But you begin to pray in faith, and then something begins to happen in the heavenlies. Amen? It's the prayer of faith that God honors. And my only concern, I'm just telling you, my only concern is that your faith grows. I'm not worried about your self-esteem. You understand? I'm not a motivation speaker. I'm not an inspirational speaker. I'm worried about your faith today. Where is the level of your faith? Because it's the only thing that God honors. It's the only thing he blesses. It's the only thing that pleases him. It's the only thing he'll recognize. It's the only thing he'll respond to. Where is your faith? Prayer of faith will heal the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And then watch what it says. Then it says, and if you've committed sin, I love how he says that. And if you've committed sin, how many of you know the likelihood of that is really high? Right? What about your own life? Is the odds pretty good you've committed sin? And what's it say? You'll be forgiven. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned and they hid from God, do you know that transfers over to our very DNA? Do you know you and I hide from God? Listen, don't hide your sin from the Lord. Don't hide your sin. Because the Bible promises and those who have committed sin will be forgiven. So what are we hiding for? And now, now this is a big key and watch what it says. Therefore, so here's the conclusion to James to his thinking here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Now that's hard to do, right? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I love this combo. You know, I don't think any phrase of the Bible is, is by mistake. I don't think every word, I don't think any word is by mistake. I don't think, I, I, I believe what Jesus said Every jot and every tittle, in other words, every dotted I and every cross T is important and matters to God and will stand for all eternity. So why did James say, why didn't he say just pray for one another? Or why didn't he say just confess to one another? Why both? You know why? Because there's a great principle here. As, as we confess our sins to one another, we confess our faults to one another. And, and, and let me just say this. Let me just say this pastorally. So many of you are signing up in small groups. Praise God for that. Our goal was 120. We have over 130 signed up right now. Praise God. As many of you are signing up for small groups, as your small group begins to pray and your group deepens in prayer, do you know what's going to happen? People are going to begin to get vulnerable and they're going to begin to share things. You're going to build community and thing, people are going to share things that don't need to go outside that group that you're praying for each other about. I have many people who confide in me. And let me tell you, as much as I take, uh, as much as I guard anything in my life, I guard the confidentiality that people share with me. I am so confidential because I have this standard of where I'm not going to break the confidence of someone who shares something with me. 
But as you get in groups and as you become more of a person of prayer, and even as your own prayer life develops this year, you know what you'll find? You'll find people sharing hard things with you. You'll find people coming up to you and saying, I need you to pray about this. And and they're going to confess things to you. They're going to share things with you. And here's what I want us to know as a church. We are never, ever to gossip about the confessions of others. Amen? We have to guard against that. When people confess things with us and to us, we guard that confidence. We take it to the Lord and to the Lord only in prayer. Because Christians are the world's worst. We're the world's worst that say, well, well, Bob, I wouldn't say nothing to you, but I know you'll pray for him. What? Why, why does he, you see what I'm saying? We, we say things in the name of, well, I wouldn't say nothing, but you'll pray for him. That's gossip. Don't do that. Rarely do I ever tell jokes when I preach, but this is one of my favorite little jokes. Can I tell you a little joke? Three Catholic priests one time went fishing, and one of them said, you know, we hear confessions all the time, and people come in and confess to us, and who do we have to confess to? So the one priest said, you know, I'll just be honest with you, uh, I lie. I lie a lot. I don't lie over huge things, just, you know, little things, little white lies here or there. Uh, I enjoy lying. The other priest said, well, he said, I, I embezzle. I embezzle money, and it's not a lot of money. He said, it's just more or less the thrill of doing it and getting away with it. And he said, you know, I just, I, I embezzle from my church. Third priest was super quiet. And they said, well, come on, come on, tell us. What, what's your greatest sin? You're not telling us. Come on, we're, we're telling you, you tell us. He just looked down and said, my greatest sin's gossip. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> really should have led with that one, right? I want you to understand this principle. This is why I think James says, confess your sins to one another. And then he says, pray for one another. Because here's the point. You don't gossip about the people you're praying for. Do you hear me? You don't gossip about the people you pray for. And you don't pray for the people you gossip about. You want to stop gossiping about someone? Get on your knees and really talk to God about them. You'll stop gossiping. You don't pray for the people you gossip about and you don't gossip about the people you pray for. And that's why I think this combo is packed in this powerful verse. We confess our sins to one another. We pray for one another. And when we have that combo working, there's no room for gossip. And then what is the outcome? Then watch this. Here's the outcome. The prayer of a righteous person will have great power as it is working. Now, can we understand this verse real quick today? If you're like me, when I think of the prayer of a righteous person, when I read that verse, I picture righteous people. 
I picture people that are on mountaintops with God. I picture people that I want to be like one day. I picture people that are leaps and bounds above me. People that I wish my life was like them or my prayer life was like them. And when I read that verse, I'm just being quite honest with you, I'm the last person I think of. So where my thinking goes is if I want my prayer to be effective, then I need someone who's righteous to pray for me. If I want my prayer to work, then I need to go to someone who's closer to God than I am and ask them to pray for me. But this isn't at all what James is talking about. You know what he's saying? Because in the next verse, he reminds us, he says, Elijah was a man of like nature. He had a nature just like us. In other words, he's saying Elijah wasn't a superhuman. Elijah wasn't even a super Christian for that matter. Elijah didn't have anything on you that you don't have access to, that you don't have the ability of. Elijah was a man. He was flesh and blood just like us. And yet this is how he prayed. That's what James would have you know. So I think God would have us back up today when we think of this idea of prayer, when we think of this idea of praying effectively, these effectual, righteous, effective, fervent prayers. What does it look like? He says, here's what it is, a righteous person. When he prays, will have great power as it's working. Now, what's a righteous person? Is it someone who never messes up? Someone who never blows it, someone who's never in a bad mood, someone who never gets sideways, someone who never sins. Oh, absolutely not. That's not a righteous person. You know what a righteous person is? It's someone who is found in Jesus Christ. It's someone who is made righteous through the work of Jesus. And that alone, when Peter wrote to his audience in 1 Peter 1, he begins the book by writing to the exile believers. And this is what he said to them, and he would say it to us because we're the body of Christ. This is what Peter said, that great apostle. This is what he said. To those who have a faith of equal standing to ours. Are you believing that? Would you put your faith on the category of the apostles? I wouldn't. Would you put your faith at that level of the great apostles? I would be like, uh-uh. But do you know what the word of God says? To those who have the faith, that's us, of equal standing to Paul and Peter and James and John. And Are you kidding me? You're saying our faith is of equal standing to theirs? Yes, and do you know why? Because of the next phrase. Because of the righteousness of of Jesus Christ. So watch what happens. You and I, who we know our faults, we know our failure, we know our weaknesses, we know our sins, we know our shortcomings, we can come before the throne of God, even though we are aware of all of that, and God certainly knows it, and what gives us access, what gives us ability, what gives us the way to the throne of God, the righteousness of Jesus, that and that alone. 
So when you and I come before the throne of God and we have this petition and we have this request and we have this need and we have this loved one and we have this burden and we have this trial and we have this circumstance and we bring this before the Lord, it's not us that's standing before the throne. It's not our ability. It's not our accreditation. It's not our merit. It's not our good works. It's not our motives. It's not our intentions. It is the righteousness of Jesus alone. And that's why we stand before the throne of God. Do you understand? Do you understand what gives your faith power? What gives your prayer power? It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. It's the righteousness of Jesus inside of you. That's what gives it power. That's what gives it the dunamis, the dynamite. That's what gives it power, not you. It's Jesus in you. And that's why it can grow and grow now as we grow to the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. As we grow up in him in every way. As we are rooted in him, built up in him. As we are established in our faith just as we are taught. As we are abounding in thanksgiving. We find ourselves always before the throne of God with an audience before the Lord. And what do we find just as Peter wrote? His ears are open to the righteous. His eyes are upon the righteous. And what does that look like for me and you? Yes, we fail. Yes, we come short. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we don't have much strength. Yes, we're in great need of grace and mercy. But because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we can come before the throne of God. So that begs the question, why do we do it so little? If access is there, if the invitation is open, why is prayer such a small part? Let me close with this today. Excuse me. Lord, help me. Help me right now. Help me to communicate, God, what your spirit would communicate to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17 says that Elijah was a man of like nature, like passions. Elijah was a man like us, and yet he prayed fervently that it would not rain on the earth. I find that odd. I find that odd. Why would he pray that? Does that not seem cruel to you? I've wondered that. God, why would he pray that, that it would not rain? Why? Why? I don't understand. And the Bible says that for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. You have to go to 1 Kings chapter 18 to understand the story. Israel had wicked rulers, Ahab and Jezebel. They turned the nation against God. They were worshiping Baal. The nation was in disarray. People were far from God, and it was awful. 
Elijah came to meet Ahab, and Ahab, in the first of chapter 18, he points to him and says, there is the troublemaker of Israel. And Elijah said, oh, I'm not the troublemaker. You're the one who's pointing people away from the one true God. They decide to meet on Mount Carmel. Not beside Churchill, the original one. (laughs) They decide to meet at Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, they gathered wood. They took an oxen. They offered a sacrifice. And they prayed to the God of Baal that fire would come down. From, all this was proposed by Elijah. I, I just, oh boy, I picture Elijah as the biggest, hairiest, baddest guy you've ever met. You know what I mean? Like, I just picture him as... When he walks in the room, everybody knows he's in the room. And Elijah goes, we've been embattled with this thing for a long time. He said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He says, let me, let, let's, let's settle this. Let's settle this. You call upon your God. I'll call upon my God. Whoever sends fire down from heaven, that's who we'll worship. The prophets of Baal said, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Let's do it. The people of Israel said, yeah, let's do it. Everybody gathers for the big day. They're in drought. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. The prophets of Baal gather and they're doing their whole thing and God's not answering and Elijah's so smart aleck about it. You can read it. It's in the Bible. He's like, where's your God at? He literally said, he said, is he relieving himself? (laughs) He said it. I'm telling you, Elijah's that type. He didn't care. He had no filter. I'm sure somebody said, he can't say that. (laughs) And he mocks them and makes fun of them. And obviously, Bell doesn't answer. And do you know what Elijah does? He prepares his altar according to the word of God. Twelve stones for all twelve tribes of Israel. He gathers the wood. He puts the oxen on the wood. And then he tell, he does the unthinkable. He says, soak it with water. Man, I'm telling you right now, if I was a part of Elijah's administrative team, I'd be like, oh, God, what's he doing? And then they soak it with water. They're in a drought. And they soak it with water. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but if you're trying to build a fire, water's the last thing you're going to put on it, Right? And he said, soak it again. At that point, I'd be going, he, he's lost it. He's done. He's finished. He's literally lost his head. After the second time, he said, soak it again. The Bible says they poured so much water over the wood and over the sacrifice that it filled the trench around the altar. That much water. And Elijah began to pray. What are we talking about? Effectual, righteous, fervent, powerful prayers. And Elijah began to pray, and as he prayed, God responded, fire fell from heaven, and it not only lit the wood on fire, it consumed everything. It even lapped up all the water in the trenches. And the Bible says that Israel fell on their face and said, the Lord, he is God. God showed his power on that day. Now, the problem was it still hadn't rained yet. 
Now, are you with me? Say amen if you're with me. The end of chapter 18 and around verse 41 through 46, 47, Elijah is with Ahab, and you can imagine the tension that's going on. And Elijah is with basically the leader, the president, the king of Israel. And here's what he said. Elijah said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to Mount Carmel. I'm going to, here's what he did. He distanced himself. He went off on his own. He went away. He isolated himself. He went alone. He got alone with God. Let me tell you, the Lord spoke to me about our church in this verses. The Lord reminded me that over this period of time, he doesn't want us to get entangled in all this and all that. We are to separate ourselves unto the Lord and we're to pray as we've never prayed before. Amen. And I just want to be frank and I want to be straightforward here. There's some of you, you need to begin coming to prayer meeting because you're too distracted through the week. You're too distracted in life. God wants to do things in an extraordinary way in your life, but you got way too many things going on. And you need to drop them, and you need to come to prayer meeting. I'm just telling you. You need to start coming. You say, I, I get it, I get it. Some people, they live far away, and some people have multiple responsibilities, and some people in this, and I mean, I get it. I'm not throwing stones at everybody, but I'm saying there's some of you, God wants to do such a work, you're gonna have to distance yourself from other things, and you have to come to Mount Carmel, and you're gonna have to get alone with God for God to do what he really wants to do. So he separates himself. He goes to Mount Carmel. The Bible says he got down in the dirt. He put his head between his legs and he began to travail. And he began to pray. He began to pray. He began to pray. He began to pray. And he had a servant with him. that would have been me who probably would have resigned when he started putting water on the altar. But anyway, he had a servant with him and he told the servant, he said, I want you to go and look over the sea and tell me what you see. And the servant came back and the servant said, nothing. And that's where 95% of you and I would have got up from the dirt, wiped ourselves off and said, oh, well, I tried. That's where we would have said, well, we gave it our best shot. That's where we would have said, well, it's just not the will of God. That's where we would have said, well, maybe God's not listening. But do you know what Elijah did? Come on now. The prayer of the righteous person has great power while it's working. While it's working. Elijah stayed in the dirt. Elijah said, go again. I hope this servant's in heaven because I want to sit down with him and talk to him. I picture that servant going, I don't know what he's doing. Throwing water on altars. I mean, that worked. Now he's up here in the dirt praying for rain. It hadn't rained in three years and six months. And now he's got me looking for nothing. There's nothing in the clouds. Well, he goes back to Elijah, nothing, my Lord. That's where you and I would have said. The Bible says that Elijah told his servant, go seven times, seven trips, seven trips up and down that mountain, seven times. 
I don't even want to go up a mountain once, let alone seven. We went on that small group retreat yesterday at Natural Tunnels, and Sadie went hiking with them down the tunnel. I said, she come back. I said, how was it? She said, terrible. She said, it was a mile down there and a mile back. Again, I said, thank you, God, that I can't see right now. Hallelujah. I don't want to hike no mountain. And seven times. And on that seventh time, it began to rain. No. Thunder was heard. No. Great flashes of lightning. Negative. The servant came back and said, I see the cloud about the size of a man's hand. (laughs) And Elijah had the spiritual wherewithal to say, God is working. I'm telling you, we're on the cusp. We're on the brink of something in the heavens breaking loose. But we can't stop praying. You say, Chad, I see no turnaround. I see nothing happening. Everything is just as it was. I don't see God moving. Then keep on praying. Because the point is, the prayer of a righteous person has great power, not just once it's been prayed, but as it is working. The process. And Elijah knew it's getting ready to pour. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. But listen, we got to distance ourselves from those who would hold us back. We've got to separate. We've got to go get along with God for God to do what he truly wants to do. Amen? That has to happen. And I'm just telling you what God is telling me. I'm too busy. And I need to drop some things. And I need to begin to seek the heart of God as never before. Because I'm not trying to be emotional and I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just telling you We are on the brink of God doing something extraordinary. Who's going to pray it through? Who's going to trust God? Who's going to seek God? Who's going to recognize and say, yeah, it's not business as usual. We're going to pray. So right now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Maybe for the first time in your entire life, maybe for the first time, when you think of the prayer of a righteous person, you don't think of someone else, you see you. Better yet, you see Jesus in you. And come on, we're we're, we're gonna break through this right now. I want you to think about the salvation that God's given you, the grace that God has given you, the sins that God's forgiven of you. I want you to think about what God, the great atoning work that God has done in your life. And and let me tell you, I want us to pray today in a different way. I want us to pray and say, God, you've made me righteous. And based on that righteousness, I come before you. And I bring this need before you, not on my righteousness, yours with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Let let me just tell you something terribly exciting. See, me and Eric got here this morning and we were the first ones to get here other than Susan Bishop. And and we walked in and we walked into the auditorium and it was pitch black. 
But, but listen, you know what? This building is wired for power. Now, come on now, get with me right now. This building is wired, absolutely wired for power. But what does it take to get the power? You gotta have a point of contact. Eric had to go over to the panel and he had to flip the switch. And when he flipped the switch, the contact was made and bam, the power comes on. Let me tell you, Christian, (laughs) let me tell you, Preaching Christ Church, God has wired us for power. We are hardwired in through the Holy Spirit for divine power, the kind of power that pulls down strongholds in people's lives the kind of power that God brings healing through, the kind of power that God rescues through. You and I are designed, we are wired with power. And that's why the Bible says, the righteous praying of a righteous man has great what? Power as it's working. But do you know what that power needs? A point of contact. It needs a point of contact. That's why when you begin to pray and you begin to pray God's word, That's the point of contact that brings power to your brain. Now see, I didn't answer my question. I've got to answer my question. Why did Elijah pray no rain? It seemed cruel. Guess what I didn't know till this week. Deuteronomy chapter 11. God promises all the blessings in all of the world to his people. But do you know what God warns them? God says, you worship other gods. You turn from me. You worship other gods. I'll give no rain to the earth. Do you know what I didn't know until this week? All Elijah did was pray the word of God. All Elijah did was pray what God had already decreed. I didn't know that. And God fulfilled his word. Listen, some of your prayers aren't being heard because you're making them up. You're not praying the word of God. You're not praying the power and authority of God's word. No, we need to begin to pray with authority. We need to begin to pray with power. Let me tell you, child of God, you're wired for power. You're not helpless. You're not helpless today. You're not weak. You're you're wired for the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you access it? Why are we going to lay hands on people? Because when we lay hands on people, that's a point of contact. It's what the Bible says to do. It's what the Bible says to do. Where are you today? Are you growing in your faith? How's your faith? That's what I want to ask you. Are you growing in prayer? Are you growing in giving? Are you growing in spiritual maturity? Are you growing in, in love? Are you growing in prayer? Are you growing in these things? what God's measuring. He's not measuring the attendance today. And he's not measuring your 401k. And God's not measuring your bonus. God's measuring your faith today. So right now, I want us to pray together and I'm finished now. After two, three closings, I'm finished. And I want us to pray differently. And the difference is I want you to pray with the righteousness that Jesus has given to you. So let's pray right now. God, I bring my need before you, Lord, my need. I bring my need.
before you, not in me, not because I've deserved anything, not because I'm worthy of anything, not even because I'm worthy to stand before your throne or kneel before your throne, but because of what Jesus has done for me in his atoning work. I thank you, God, for the forgiveness of my sin. I thank you for the grace that you've lavished upon me, Lord. And I thank you that all of my needs are met according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I thank you that you're my shepherd and I shall not want. But you make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters to restore my soul. I thank you that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I thank you that all grace will abound toward me, that having all sufficiency for all things in all times, I will abound in every good work. I thank you for these things, Lord. I thank you. I thank you that you'll meet every need, every physical need, every financial need, every emotional need. You will meet every single need that I have for the sake of your son, Jesus. You'll do that, God. You're the potter, Lord, and I'll gladly be at your bench. I'll gladly allow you to reshape and remold. I'll gladly allow you to put the flame to me. Do your work in us, Lord. Let this spring be the most fruitful spring this house has ever had. Give us miracles, oh God. Not for our bragging. God forbid. Not for our bragging, but for the boasting of the Lord that God is faithful. God will do what he says he will do. For the boasting of the Lord. For the boasting of the Lord. Not for us, Jesus. Shape us and mold us after your will. We pray these things, not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness that comes through your son. Now, as we have prayed, may great power be working according to the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God.